Fernando is faster than you. Hello everybody, Fernando Campos here, back and this time with the first edition of F1 Memories. On this series, guests will come over to share their best experiences with Formula 1, like their first contact with the sport and their best stories about watching a race on track. Our guest today is the Box of Neutrals founder and host of the F1 Strategy Report. All the way from Australia, Michael Lamonato will share his best moments not only from a fan point of view, but also from a journalist standpoint as well. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Right, so hello Michael, it's a pleasure to have you here. A little bit of inverse roles today, I'm the host and you're the guest, usually we have the other way around, but how are you, how are you doing today? Hey mate, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing really well. The uh, pre-season testing sort of, we're in the middle of it, so the season's not too far away. My home Australian Grand Prix is not too far away. So yeah, really starting to get warmed up into this new season. Can you understand, can you predict anything from what we had from pre-season or do you think it's still just a blur from what we got? Look, it's pretty hard to predict except for the fact that Williams is surely last. That's the only thing I can say for sure, right? I mean... What have they had? I haven't actually, we, we, I must admit, we're recording this at the end of what would be day four of the first test. I haven't actually seen the results, but I can't imagine it went much better for Williams than pretty much the rest of the week. So, yeah, it's looking pretty grim for them. But I think as far as I've seen, everyone else actually looks pretty good altogether. I mean, I'm sure we'll have the top three as usual, but I, we could be in for a pretty close season, which would be pretty good. That would be nice. Yeah, I've heard that the midfield pack will be a little bit more bunched up, which is awesome. So uh, let's see what comes around from the 2019 season. So the idea here is really to to get the experience from other people regarding Formula One, their their uh, first uh, their first experience, their best memory. So let's start really from the beginning. What is your first memory from Formula One? The first race you remember, or the first really contact that you remember? Well, the first contact I remember uh, with Formula One was here in Melbourne, of course, because we've had a race since uh, 1996 uh, when I was only five years old. So I don't really remember the first race, but I know my parents used to go to them and I, I remember the the sound of the old engines really spread throughout the city. In fact, now we don't get that so much anymore, I suppose, but we do still get the, the two-seater car, which goes around, I don't know, about seven o'clock in the morning here. So on race weekends, you still get to hear it. But uh, only the one car and only very early in the morning. Uh, so I always remember the sound, which I think a lot of people in Grand Prix cities have a bit of a connection if they like it. If they don't like it, they probably hate it. But uh, they, I think everyone has that connection to that sound. And I, to, to be honest, I don't remember the first year I went to the race. I went on a free practice day um, when my dad was at work. So I took his ticket and went in to, to see, I suppose it would have been a Friday. Uh, and by all accounts, I went with my mum. Uh, I, I hated it. I didn't really like Formula One that first oh, time. Really? I went, yeah, I can't tell you exactly why. Maybe it was too loud for me. I'm not sure. Maybe that's why I actually kind of like these new engines. It's a bit more mellow, a bit more relaxed, but uh, just wasn't into it by all accounts, um, which is, I suppose this must have been early 2000s, maybe. Uh, and, and so I sort of didn't have too much more to do with it after that, but... I think really when I first really started following Formula One, I can't say exactly why, uh, but it was the 2008 season. It was the first year I really didn't miss a race. Uh, in Australia, broadcast of Formula One has... It's, it's pretty good now, actually. We've got every race and every practice session, but 
we used to have not really very much. The time zone, of course, doesn't work that well. A lot of races were at 10 o'clock at night or, or overnight if they were in the Americas. And we used to record a lot of them on VHS and then, um, you know, I'd watch them the next morning. And I think that was my final year of high school as well. But I remember taking the time out to watch the Brazilian Grand Prix because, you know, as an Italian family, we were a pretty big fan of Ferrari and uh, Felipe Massa's hopes. But I really very distinctly remember that race and uh, the heartbreak when Felipe lost. And, and it's funny because you just mixed up two of my memories because as a child, I remember saying that, yeah, going to a Formula, going to a Formula One race must be boring because you just see one <laughs> part of the track. It, it, it's not nice. I believe it's not nice. And here I am going every year to Interlagos. Mm. And also... My first memory, my first real memory, of course, is the 2008 Brazilian Grand Prix. And I thought Glock was a backmarker, so I celebrated <laughs> that day. Yeah, well, everyone said Ferrari, I think, for some point in time. Uh, <laughs> it's just sort of, I mean, and this is the thing I tell anybody who wants to end a Formula One. It's difficult to ask someone to go back and watch a race from more than a decade ago now. But it's so, and it's cliche to say it, but it's an ending you couldn't even write if you were making a movie, right? Like Hollywood couldn't yeah, even get away true. with writing that kind of ending because it's so ridiculous and it's so, uh, you know, exactly um, dramatic, isn't it? Because how could you? Yeah, five corners, not even five corners, a couple of corners away from the end. You know, he had the championship for a couple of seconds until Hamilton got the position back. At and- home. At home, exactly, and in essentially, what was it, Hamilton's second season after seeing off Fernando Alonso, it was such a a uniquely cinematic kind of moment, such a a dramatic moment of storytelling, you couldn't help but get swept up in it, and of course there was politics behind all of that, and McLaren had been excluded the previous year, and Ferrari was still sort of not sure about their post-Schumacher era, there was so much going on. Uh, and you could really see that, right? Like, Felipe Massa's always been a bit of an emotional guy, but the podium ceremony is something you can never forget from that race, right? He had so much emotion, uh, and I th- held himself so well. I think that endeared him forever. He could keep racing and forever at the back if he had to, and people would still love him and want to watch him because of that moment. Yeah, that was truly remarkable, and the, the way that he held himself, like you said, and I just remember my first and my second year in Interlagos, of course, because he retired two times. Mm, But in his first year, I told you this story on the strategy report that year, but he crashed on his way to the to the finish line. So on the on the uphill and that walk from the crash to the pits was in front of us right there. Mm. So a lot of people crying, a lot of people Mm. crying. That was an emotional moment. I was one of the one of the people cry, one of the first cry, but that was incredible. And like you said, if it were a movie. We would say, nah, this is a yeah. cheesy ending. <laughs> well, this would never happen in real life. Well, last corner, of course not. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. You'd never, you could never believe something like that. And I, I think there was just so much disbelief at that point. Even commentators couldn't believe that it was happening. Um, it's, it's yeah. You could never, you could never write something like that. And uh, that's such an, a great example, I think. You can, again, you can never really tell someone, oh, go back and watch all of 2008. It'll be great and you'll be into Formula One. But <laughs> if they did, they would be into Formula One. That's true. And you said that it started really in 2008, but how did it be... It, it took a time to grow on you, I'm sure. But how did, how did it start to not be just a hobby to, and you started to really write and be a broadcaster? How did it grow on you as much? To, to get you to work with Formula One in, in some aspect? 
Well, it's sort of, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting story to say how you get into Formula One, say, oh, 2008, it was such a, an emotional ride and went down to the, the very end. <laughs> and then I think the real answer to your question here is that in 2009, the season was, in, I mean, the season was interesting, you know, Braun and Jensen Button, that was, that was pretty good, but they mostly dominated. I know it went down to the second last race, didn't it? Well, it got to Brazil as well. But um, really, the answer was all the politics in 2009 is really what got me engaged on the next level uh, again i didn't miss a race in 2009 because uh, well i'd been following on from 2008 but the idea of the breakaway series maybe you remember from 2009 negotiations over the concord agreement and you know certain teams were going to leave formula one and there was a, a stand i think it was williams and force india in particular said that they weren't going to um, and then, of course, this was in the shadow of the the global financial crisis. A whole bunch of manufacturers did leave, uh, but not yeah, to start the crash their own series. Scandal. Yeah, and then, of course, the following season, we found out that in two thousand and oh no, sorry, in two thousand nine for two thousand and eight, yeah, the same season. There, yeah, yeah, exactly. We had this crash gate, and there was investigations, and there were hearings. There was so much going on in two thousand and nine off the track uh, that you couldn't help but be really engaged by. The whole world of Formula One. I know that kind of stuff does happen periodically in F1. Like there's so many, so much ego and so much money. How can it not get? How can it not happen from time to time? But I just thought 2009 was such a great example. And yeah, on top of all of that, you did have this story on track of not just that Braun and Jensen Button won the title, but the fact that that team had essentially collapsed the year before. Uh, hadn't really been bought. You know, Ross bought bought it for one dollar because no one else wanted it. Uh, and they had all of a sudden they rocked up a pieces of testing had the quickest car and was the quickest car for most of the year you know it was a pretty good story in that sense as well so i think even though the conclusion wasn't as good as 2008 um the story of 2009 on and off the track was just so compelling um and that's really when it started for me that i really started to want to get involved in this sport the one thing that i remember from the 2009 season that the, the thing that it sticks out the most is that malaysian grand prix mm. that gave the drivers points in half, and a lot of drivers had a 0.5 in their score. That yeah. bothered me so much. <laughs> so much. <laughs> it's an annoying score. Imagine going home from a race with one half of a point, with 0.5 of a point. Yeah. It'd be annoying uh -huh. as well. And I thought that that would happen in that Brazilian Grand Prix that rained a lot. We had an interruption mm. of the race, so... Yeah, I that's alive, right. Really? Am I going to see that live now? But yeah. the race came back, but... I, I remember that day of the, the half a point and remembering, like, I remember Truly, specifically that Truly got half a point for something. And I remember seeing his score and like, Jesus, I, I will have to see this half a point for the rest of the season now. Yeah. Or you have to hope that he scores another half point somewhere else somehow yeah. and rounds the number out. <laughs> I do, yeah, I remember that, because that was also uh, the Kimi Raikkonen ice cream race as well. I can't yeah, forget that. That was the same. That's perfect. Good memory. Uh, what was the first race that you attended? Ah, well, the first race. Well, I don't, I don't remember that first race I went to um, in in the early yeah that one practice session. Uh, but I was at the 2009 Australian Grand Prix. I think that was the first full weekend, sort of from Thursday. So the Australian Grand Prix has a Thursday here as well, which has support races and also just other things, you know, uh, like driver autographs or whatever. But I remember 2009 was the first full weekend I went to, I'm pretty sure, in Australia. And I haven't missed an Australian Grand Prix since then. I almost missed last year's one, actually, when I had the most excuse to go because I had terrible food poisoning. Not a very interesting story, but I almost decided not to go. 
uh, I think I rocked up an hour or just before the race because I really had to give myself time to to get into it. Um, but yeah, so I've been to, to, to be get food poisoned. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, of all the races as well, my home race, such so much hype and, you know, so much, the first race of the year and then all of a sudden, can't even remember what I ate. And then, yeah, anyway, it was a pretty bad 24 hours, but uh, I got there in the end, so that was good. Uh, I don't think the race was that memorable though, so I don't know whether it was worth getting out of bed for it, but it was okay. It was look, we had an okay season. Um, you you but, kept this streak alive. You kept the streak alive. Exactly. You know, most importantly, I kept it alive, which is um, yeah, which is uh, that counts. I think. Well, that'll be that's ten years. I've just realised. Actually, now you've said yeah. that. So, but the first was two thousand and nine. I hadn't even thought about that. Um, yeah, the streak is alive. Yeah, exactly. Imagine missing the anniversary <laughs> race, the tenth race. So yeah, I'm glad I went. Uh, but the first overseas race I did would have been to the 2012 Malaysian Grand Prix, I'm pretty sure. I remember because... Um, so when I sort of started getting more involved, not just in Formula 1, but doing the radio show um, originally, I think the first season of that was 2010, because I'd met a guy at the community radio station we were doing stuff out, and he happened to go to my university as well, and we started this show, Box of Neutrals, which is still going. So that's also about nearly a decade old. Um, and we started doing races, and we ended up, anyway, we ended up going to this same commercial radio school in 2012, and we'd be doing this show for a little while. Uh, and this show we were doing also was being broadcast, strangely enough, still is actually, uh, at this in this station in Thailand of all places, uh, we had some guy who worked there. Really wanted, <laughs> really liked Formula One, wanted some sport content, and so we started sending him this. And all of a sudden, we got this email saying, um, you know, the Malaysian Grand Prix is happening, and they're they're doing some sponsorship with us. So we did some ads for for them, and then all of a sudden, they sent everyone to the Malaysian Grand Prix, and we sort of didn't realize it at first. We thought they were joking, and then all of a sudden, they were like. Nah, next week, because it was back-to-back with Australia at the time, um, make sure you book your flights, because we've got a hotel room and everything. Um, oh, wow. So we booked these last-minute flights that week, and we left on Friday night. We were to the overnight f- flight on Friday night, got there Saturday morning, uh-huh. didn't sleep yeah. at all, because sleeping on airplanes real hard. Uh, you know, was uh, pretty much unconscious during the day, trying to watch qualifying Turned out we were all sharing this one hotel room, so I think I slept on the floor from memory. Um, I think we brought in some pillows or something. Uh, then watched the race on Saturday, which was really great. You know, we uh, we had um, seats right at turn one, which is a pretty good place to watch in Malaysia because um, you see all the way down the straight, you see the first, second corner, and there's also a little screen there so you can see what's going on. Um, but then that, ra- uh, that race from memory was the first one no it wouldn't have been the first one must have been 2009 because of that rain but they'd moved the race later 2009 was a disaster because they moved the race later in the afternoon it pretty much always rains in malaysia at that time of year like four o'clock let's say and so they brought it slightly earlier but it still rained in that race not as bad from memory it was the start of the race wasn't it like they got through a couple of laps there was a crash. Maybe it was Fernando Alonso. I can't remember. Yeah, it wasn't the race from Perez and Alonso, right? It was 2013. Yeah, I mean, that was the following the year, I think. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this, it was the following year. Yeah, but this one... It was, so it was delayed a little bit anyway. So it was delayed because of this rain. Right. And we were flying out that night because we had to be back at university on Monday morning. Uh, I, I know that feeling. I know that feeling too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we just... It's, suddenly, you know, we're getting to the end of the race and we're like... We've got to leave in, you know, two and a half hours. Like, we've got to be the airport. 
Luckily, the airport's sort of right next door to the track, but the traffic outside the circuit and the way the police were controlling it, we only just made it. So it was a real, like, dash to the race to start the weekend and then dash back mm-hmm. to the airport. But, um, yeah, I'll never forget that weekend because it was just so so crazy, such a crazy experience. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I've been to I've been, been to all but one Malaysian Grand Prix since then. And now, obviously, it's off the calendar. So, yeah, I had a bit of an attachment to that race because it was the first overseas one. So it was a little bit sad to see it go. Hey, it was very close, very quote unquote, right? Very close to you, so it's better mm. to 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 attend. Yeah. And apart from apart from Australia and Malaysia, did you go? To, I I think you went to Japan. You said, but I might be mistaken. Yeah. So I've been to. I think I've been to all the Asian rounds now. So I've been to the Japanese Grand Prix, and I've also done Singapore, and more recently China. Um, I can't remember what year the first Japanese Grand Prix was. It might have been. 14, 2014, let's say. Um, and if anyone's ever been to the Japanese Grand Prix, you probably know that accommodation's kind of difficult. You can stay in Nagoya, which is the closest city, and then you've got about 45 minutes to an hour to get to the track, which is not so bad. And Nagoya is a big city, so there's a lot to do. But the first year we tried to stay in this town, I was traveling with two other colleagues of mine, two friends of mine from Australia. And we just had, I don't know if we left it, we must have left it late or whatever, but we there were just no hotels. There's nothing we could book. And completely by chance, we got this hotel um, in a town called Shiroko, which is just two stops up the train line, I think. So fairly close, but it had only one bed in it. And so there were three of us. I'm like, what are we going to do? We've got no other options. So we booked this room and we had to... Because they're very strict in Japan as well about no one that isn't in the room is meant to be up in the room. I think it depends a bit on the right. hotel. But um, so we all had to... We someone one of us checked in, whoever it was who was on who was on the booking. All I remember it wasn't me because I was standing outside in the dark just waiting. And uh, they went up to the room, waited twenty minutes, came downstairs, and the second person would go up on their own, and then the third person. And in my bag, I had um, an inflatable mattress. And so we'd go up there, and eventually we all got up there together. Took an hour to get up there. Uh, and then we, you know, we'd inflate the inflatable mattress quite late by now, went to sleep. And then every morning we'd have to deflate it so that no one would, none of the room keepers would come <laughs> in and go, ah, oh, it seems like there might be more than one person sleeping in this one person room. Um, but I got lucky because two of the other guys, they ended up sharing a bed and they, uh, were fairly uncomfortable in that experience. So at least I got my own bed. It was good to settle for the, the, the air mattress then. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't so upset by that one, but, uh, that was also a fairly interesting first race experience. Did you happen to go to the Korean Grand Prix as well? No, or that yeah. Was Actually, of... I never got to that one. Um, one of the other guys who does Box of Neutrals did. He went to the... I think it might have been the first one. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Actually, no, it wouldn't have been the first one. It must have been one of the other ones. Not that it lasted that long. That would have been interesting. <laughs> uh, although, I guess what well, the biggest problem with that one was that it was just really in the middle of nowhere, I think. It was yeah. built in a swamp, essentially. And built during the global financial crisis. So all of their big plans never came to be so no yeah i never never end up getting that race unfortunately if they ever get another one back to it was always rumored that they might have a race closer to seoul that'd be pretty good to go to i think yeah you, you have vietnam now which is ah, yes. another one to, to to look forward to yeah that will be interesting i mean vietnam's getting pretty popular now with australians again because it's a country that's relative <laughs> relatively close to <laughs> australia about only about eight hours by airplane which is practically next door for us uh yeah that'll be pretty exciting i am looking forward to that one Nice. And how was the experience in Singapore? I believe that that's a pretty, I mean, it's it's quite an expectacle. The whole circumstance, the whole place is quite a, a show, let's say. 
But how was the experience of watching the race there? Yeah, Singapore is, I well, I mean, having not done all of the races, of course, but Singapore is a pretty unique experience because, A, the, the city is just really incredible. Like, you're in this humid, almost this almost jungle-like environment, but it's this super mm-hmm. modern city. Uh, and the night race, I think, really plays into that. I think it's a really great place to have the night race. It also means that you don't have to go out in the sunshine so much because it's so hot. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Uh, but it's this really unique experience as well of if you... All of Formula 1 stays on European time. You probably hear this all the time. You know, they say it in the television and all that kind of stuff. But I've done that a couple of times now. And it's, it's sort, in some respects, it's kind of annoying because, you know, coming from Australia, like, oh, you know, it's in pretty much our time zones and an hour behind. We're going to have a great time. Fly in, fly out's great. But you have to jet lag yourself to do it, to, to come from Australia. Like, everyone else has this great time. They just fly straight in. Pretend they're still in London, you know, going out, having a drink at four in the morning or whatever, uh, because that's just dinner time for them or whatever. And I'm sitting there at four in the morning because you've got to try. This is the first thing I learned the first time. You can't do it on the Australian time zone because, you know, the race doesn't finish till 10 o'clock, I think, there. Mm-hmm. And I think qualifying's an hour later. Uh, and you know, when you're, you're doing the, the press circuit there, you've got so many interviews to do afterwards, you've got all your coverage to write. You, know, you don't finish till two or three in the morning. And if you're in Australian time, that's just a disaster. There's no way you're working effectively at that time. So you have to pretend as well. Like, so, so I try and take an overnight flight and stay up the first night as much as you can and try and wake up late. It's difficult. But uh, if you do end up doing that, if you come from Europe or another time zone, you choose to do the European time... Uh, you know, at 2 a.m. or whatever time is effectively dinner time, you go out and the whole city is yours. You know, you have the whole city to yourself and there are still, you know, various places open. Lots of the um, hawker markets and things like that will will remain open at that time. Uh, You just have this really unique experience of this city that's occupied by F1 fans and, you know, people working there from Europe and the teams and stuff. And you're out every, in the middle of every night. Yeah, it's just such a unique experience. I think Singapore's a really good race to do. And even if you don't do the European time zone thing, the advantage is that you still have all day to be a tourist in Singapore. You know, you can go out and see all the things you want to see. And then, you know, you don't have to be qualifying till, I think qualifying's at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night. And, you know, the first practice session would be at 5 o'clock or whatever that is. So you actually get a pretty full experience as opposed to one of the races where it's on during the day. So you're, all your days are occupied by races and then maybe you go out at night. It's, it's a good race to do, I would recommend. Right. That's nice. That's good to know. And how about China? How was the experience of going to Shanghai to, to watch the Grand Prix? China China's completely different. Like, it's sort of... Uh, So, I've only started doing the Chinese Grand Prix in the last two years, so I haven't had the experiences that they had when they began there, but what what people say is that, because the track is quite far out of Shanghai, notably far out of Shanghai, I think I caught a taxi there from the middle of the city last year, and... I reckon I was in the car for a, at least an hour. Like, it's it was far. An hour on highways as well, not just driving through traffic or anything like that. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's far. But And so when you get there, you're just sort of amongst, you know, it's a little bit industrial. There are a lot of apartments. You, you can see it on the television often. But apparently when the race started there, there was not really anything around there. And so it just, just sort of speaks to how quickly Shanghai is growing and how quickly they can build stuff there. That um, it's all surrounded um, by there. Uh, the Chinese Grand Prix is very interesting. They 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 go to a lot of effort to put on the show. The overriding anyone who's been to cover the Chinese Grand Prix, the overriding emotion is that um, the paddock is 
enormous. Like it's just too it's too big. Like you see it on television. You see like those nice little huts in the water which look lovely. Like the idea was great, but they're not connected in any logical way. So so many times like you'll get to the hut and every team gets two. That's the other thing. So you know the the engineers get one and then um like the hospitality and press area which is where you want to go as a journalist gets another one. And the number of times you'll get to one hut and it'll end up being the engineer's hut and then you look across the water and you can see all everyone else that you intend to be with doing the interview you can't get there either you have to go all the way out to this huge empty paddock area where the garages are it just takes forever to navigate it's so big like it's a nice idea but it's just it's huge you do so much i guess you do so much walking which is good but Oh, it's really a, a workout and a real mental exercise. I just wish one year they'd give us a map of the, where everything is. It'd be really good. <laughs> yeah, give me orientation of this maze, yeah. for the love of God, because I'm getting lost here all the time. Everyone should arrive early and then they can do a guided tour and then maybe we can all remember <laughs> where it was. Last year it was a, so a frustrating. Yeah, because... Um, I had to get to a Pirelli thing and I couldn't find it. It turned out to be in a very easy place, but I think I overthought it. But as I was looking and as like the, you know, the clock ticked over to whatever time it was, 5.30 mm-hmm. when it was starting, just the biggest rain shower. Like I was caught in a huge storm, didn't have an umbrella, was absolutely soaked and gave up. I was so upset. I got up to the media center. My notebook was soaked through, couldn't open any of the pages. And then I got a cold that weekend. It was very, it was an emotional, it was an emotional day, but, uh... You know, it's it, it it's good fun. Um, they do put on a bit of a show, but it is a it's definitely a unique race. Mm. It's funny to see this this many different experiences, right? Go to Singapore, which is quite a show. Then China with its big paddock with no <laughs> map and no Waze, so you kind of get lost. And you reminded me of something I didn't think about that at the start. Um, the Australian Grand Prix. A part of it is a street. It is a street race, of course. Mm. And how is the logistics for the people who live in Melbourne to see that changing and to have to remember that there is a track being built there in, in the middle of the street? How do the people who live there deal with the situation of the track being built? I think you either fall into two camps in Melbourne. Uh, you're either you know fan of the race and you don't live nearby. Or you live nearby and you hate the race is pretty much how it works. I actually live not that far from Albert Park. I live maybe... I mean, sometimes I drive through it if I want to get to the city, as an example. like Or I'd at least drive right past it. Um, uh-huh. the, we've been doing this for now 20... Well, 23 or 4 years now that we've been doing 23, this. 23, I believe. Yeah. The first one was 96, Yeah, right? the first one was 96. So this will be the... Is it be the 23rd race? Yeah, I think that's about right. Yep. If my math serves mm-hmm. me correctly. Um, and they have gotten really good at doing it quickly. Like, they they leave it to quite late. Whereas once they might have started, I don't know, at the end of December or start of January or something. Now they've only really... You know, I drove through it only maybe two weeks ago and they were only just starting to put up the grandstands because they do it really quickly. Like, they're, they're really efficient at doing it, at setting it all mm-hmm. up. Because it's more or less the same setup every year, of course. They add one or two. I think they've added a couple of stands. But um, I did notice, you know, I was trying to go to the city last weekend and the traffic was really quite bad. And it was because Albert Park was closed. I don't know if it's closed permanently now for the race, but it was definitely closed because they were doing something. Um, mm-hmm. And I got annoyed because I live here now <laughs> and there's traffic around <laughs> Albert Park. And it's irritating. Uh, but uh, it's, it, it's okay. It's not so bad. Albert Park, it is a street track and it is used the the streets legitimately during the year but it's not they're not very big streets it's not there's like a major road right next to it so it's not the end of the world but um 
it does annoy people and now I know a little bit about it because I got actually when we were doing stuff at the ABC one of the producers there lives he must live even closer he must live pretty much on the park and he got annoyed because part of his running track gets closed and I was like come on just choose a different <laughs> running track it's just take come a on. detour you know because the park is not itself closed until I think the week of the race maybe the Tuesday so the park's still open uh, just not the roads obviously but um yeah I think you know for a week you can you can run around it you can run somewhere else. <laughs> I always thought that the Friday would be the biggest problem because, of course, people, most of the people are going to work and going to school and mm. so on. But is it closed from Tuesday then? It's the, it's pretty much the whole week yeah. closed? Yeah, the, the, the roads are not open during the event at all. It's not like Monaco. Um, it's same as Singapore. It's like Singapore doesn't open its roads either, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it does. Maybe I'm wrong. They open them on Monday, whereas Albert Park is not even open on Monday, I'm fairly sure. They probably don't open it until later that week. They, so it's closed. The, the roads are closed for about two weeks. The park is closed maybe just for the duration, maybe from Tuesday till Monday. Maybe you can mm-hmm. get back into the park on Monday. Um but that's it. So they've reduced it to only like proper closure for two weeks. And then, of course, look, you do end up working around. There's a lot of construction. So it, it's congested there. But you can still get in after the race. So they've, they've done a good job. Because Albert Park is, a, is one of the city's bigger parks. Um, and there's a lot going on there. There's, there's a lot of sports facilities there. The pits during the year are actually basketball courts. Um, oh, really? Which maybe me yeah, maybe some people don't know. Huh, um, nice. Basketball or, or court and other courts, I suppose, in there. Um, so they lose that for a couple of weeks. But... Uh, look, I, it, it's a debate that it goes on forever in Melbourne. There are people who, who want the race and people who don't. One of the arguments people who say the race is good make is that before the Grand Prix came in 1996, Albert Park was, uh, and I can't vouch for this, obviously, being only five years old at the time, but Albert Park was a bit of a bit of a wasteland, like a little bit neglected. Um, but because the Grand Prix came there and they built the pit facilities and then built everything around it, you know, they sort of rejuvenated it a little bit. I don't know how true that is, but it, I've been told that, that is correct. So there's there's reasons that it you know it's brought some good things at least to the park, um, but then people say, oh, you know, can't use the park. But they, it's worth saying, you know, there's a pond in the middle of it, and the geese are always there. They always come back, so it doesn't disturb them too much. <laughs> and if you could if you could choose one race to go anywhere in the world, you don't need to think about logistics. You're just going to this race. Which one would it be? Oh, it's pretty hard. I would have definitely said. Had you asked me last year, middle of last year, uh-huh. I would definitely have said Japan because other than just the right, like the, the fans are great in Japan. Like everyone's so enthusiastic and in that really unique Japanese way, like they really, it's not just enthusiastic mm-hmm. for the race, but they're passionate about the race. Like the people yeah, who go there are just true. really committed. You know, you, you hear the stories, you see the photos, the fans are in there, even on Thursday way after dark just watching the team set up and you know they watch some things on the big screen like they're really into it they're really mm-hmm. great and also just because I, I i really love japan it's such a terrific country and the people whether or not they're formula one fans are terrific people so polite and welcoming um mm-hmm. i i you know i try to make sure i go to the japanese grand prix every year just because i really enjoy it but last year i also went for the first time to the mexican grand prix and that is a really cool experience they also do it's no no um surprise that i think every year they've been on the calendar they've won best promoter of yeah, the year yeah like three years in a row World. something yeah. like that yeah exactly because they just do such a good job there of promoting it it's such that's another next level enthusiastic crowd because i mean you see like that baseball stadium section they just fill it up and 
I even I was watching Formula E last week and it was full for that, mm-hmm. which is incredible. That's true. I thought I mean, about I know, that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know there are a lot of people in Mexico City, but still, it's impressive, impressive to me. Uh-huh. Um, that would be a really cool race. And I also did, I was at the first US Grand Prix in Austin 2012 um, and I went again last year. And that is also, I, I don't know what, exactly what it's like now. In 2012, they were putting in a lot of effort and stuff to, to entertain the fans. And I'm sure they're doing the same thing now. I can only assume that they're, that that's even improved. Um, but Austin is such a cool place to go for the race as well. I must admit, in 2012, they maybe, I guess it was because it was the first race, um, the city really was absorbed by Formula One. You know, they had street festivals for Formula One. You'd walk past restaurants and bars and they'd offer you a discount if you had a Formula One ticket. This year, it felt a little bit less so. You know, they had... Um, they didn't really get the sense that the race was on as much in the city. The city's grown a little bit since 2012, but not heaps, obviously. Um, you know, there's talk about you know, maybe this the race is on its way out in Austin, unfortunately, because Formula One wants a race. Not that they want a race that isn't Austin, but they definitely well they had they went a big way to trying to get a race in Miami. There's this talk about a race in Las Vegas. Um, whether or not the US can sustain two races if they're right near each other. You know, a lot of questions about how viable this race might be in the future, which would be a real shame because Austin is a really good... I, You know, they talk about destination cities and stuff. I think Austin is the destination city more so than Miami and I reckon probably more so than Las Vegas. I mean, Vegas would look good at night, I guess, but it's really just a lot of casinos, isn't it? Whereas mm-hmm. Austin has this great... Yeah, they've got an event culture. They're all about festivals, and they're all about um, you know ho- hosting people there. And you know, it's it's this really unique part of Texas where you've still got that kind of you know people genuinely, non-ironically walking around in those cowboy hats. But <laughs> you know, it's also University City, so there's this really great vibe there. I just think it would be such a shame if Formula One's pursuing you know quote unquote event cities or destination cities that Austin might not fall into that category because it absolutely should be there. Nice. Michael, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure to have you here. Tell the people where they can find you on the internet, please. Twitter, Facebook, the programs, where can people find you on the internet? So you can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter. Uh, If you can't spell that, just search for Box of Neutrals, which is uh, that first podcast we spoke about that I started started this whole thing. And you can also find me on the Strategy Report, which will be starting more during the season, uh, of which your fine self does make several appearances now. You've been up to your third, I think, and we're talking to you again, I hope, for the Brazilian Grand Prix. Oh, nice. Thank Um, you (laughs) for the invitation. We'll we'll, we'll sort it out now. Yeah, may as well just confirm it all now. Uh, That's where you can find me on Twitter and um, you know if you know my address you, you could always welcome to come up for a visit as well <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much Michael thank you very much thanks Fernando it's been a pleasure that's it for today guys thank you very much for listening to this episode don't forget to check out our social media links at Nando is Faster on Twitter Facebook and Instagram and also look for Michael and his projects at Michael Lamonaro on Twitter at Box of Neutrals and at Strategy Report I hope you have a great week and I'll see you next time bye bye